All right, hello and welcome back to this preview edition of Unqualified Analysis. I am your host, Caleb Verzak. You know, the show with zero qualifications, zero free credentials that just, just keeps firing off takes anyways. I think I did that all sorts of out of order, but not going to go back and fix it. It is what it is now. It's just there for posterity. Hey, I got a good one for you today. A little bit of a uh, little bit of headlines, a little bit of a uh, breakdown preview here. I, uh, you know, only two games, so I got to fill a little bit of extra space, if you will. Can't just spend all the time on football. There's, well, it is still all about football, but there's other stuff going on in the football world. Only four teams playing right now. Twenty-eight others are sitting at home and. I'd say all 28 of them are making moves right now. So we'll get into that. No head coaching moves just yet, but coordinator hires are slowly heating up a full breakdown of the conference championship games and my official picks for championship weekend. And uh, yep, that that pretty much summarizes the whole show today. I mean, it's, it's not a particularly complex one. Who knows how long it'll go, but it's going to go longer if I keep uh, <clears throat> rambling here at the top. So without further ado, let's get into the uh, coaching headlines, shall we? And first and foremost here, uh, welcome back to the NFL to butt Jim Bill O'Brien. He is back where he belongs, and there you have it. As the smart people in college football had alluded to for the back half of the season, Alabama has parted ways with both coordinators. And, oh, I bet that affected recruiting, didn't it? Oh, let's go, let's go look at the recruiting rankings. Nope, they have the number one class next year. That's just... That's just the machine that Saban has built. It's going to it's gonna be a while before even Kirby Smart can surpass what Saban has built over there. I will tell you that much. No, Saban didn't fire them, but go back and look at history. This dude doesn't fire people. I mean, that's just flat out. Unless it is Lane Kiffin on, on the tarmac, which extenuating circumstances there. Believe what you want to believe there. I mean, something happened, that's for sure. What happened exactly is, um, I mean... SEC legend at this point. I mean, I, I'm not even sure I can really articulate it. Who's who's to even say? But I digress. They're outside of that one particular uh, instance there, which is a special occasion to be sure. Dude doesn't fire people. He just calls one of the thousands of contacts he has, and that's probably not an exaggeration. You're the thousands of contacts that he has across the pro and college football world, and he just ships them out under the guise of them leaving the program to find uh, newer, greener pastures, if you will. Uh, helps build relationships and ensures that Saban has even more contacts around the sport. There's a reason he got thousands of because he's been doing this for like 20 years at this point. Um, because he did right by the coordinators, he shipped them out, and instead of just, you know, biting the bullet and, and firing them, puts them in a good position, puts you in a good position later down the road. Just good business, quite frankly. Um, like, do we really think Pete Golding looked at Ole Miss, that, that defensive coordinator job, and said, yeah, that's a better spot to be then. The same job at, at Alabama, coordinating much better talent, much better players, and uh, a much, you know, much better uh, slate of game, maybe not slate of games, but much better collection of talent to work with. Yeah, definitely Ole Miss, that, that's a superior job. No, no. It, hell, from what I heard from around that situation, this isn't anything new. I, I mean, I don't actually know anything firsthand. I've just been listening to people around the situation. He might not have even known Ole Miss was an option, uh, Pete Golding, until he was told he was going there. So, <laughs> this is just what Saban does. 
This one probably took slightly less behind the scenes finagling from Saban though, because it just made too much sense for both Bill O'Brien and Bill Belichick, but Chin Bill needed Bill Belichick because he was about to not have a job anymore at Alabama, needed to get on out of Tuscaloosa there fast, and Bill Belichick uh, definitely could not run things back with his apparent best friend, uh, Matt Patricia, who just seems to keep weaseling his way into roles, but I digress. Um, they have a solid history together, O'Brien and Bill Belichick, working with Tom Brady, and it's not like the guy was fired in the first place. No, he, he left, uh, left the Patriots to be the head coach of the Texans, and for how messy it ended, it's undeniable that he was the best coach in the history of the franchise. I mean, no question about it. He had less years than Gary Kubiak, and of course, Gary Kubiak has an argument, to be sure, with you know a few extra years on his, on his belt, or at least one extra year under his belt, but... In one less season at the helm, Bill O'Brien racked up four AFC South titles, which is two more than Kubiak. His biggest downfall was that he rightly saw how much of a shit show the ownership slash front office situation was. Um, that was right at the dawn of the Jack Easterby era as Cal McNair was taking over the team and just being the gullible doofus that he just is naturally and accepting uh, the Lord and Savior into his life uh, in the form of, uh, I'm going to use a biblical term here, I believe you would refer to him as a Judas, if you will, a bit of a... Mm, Maybe Judas isn't the right term. I didn't really pay attention too much in church. Either way, snake in the grass. That's probably the best way to put it with that guy over there. That was all the dawn of that situation. Bill O'Brien, I mean, what if you were in that situation, you looked at the the what was going on around you, and you saw that that man was slowly taking more and more control of the team after basically parlaying a team chaplain job with the Patriots into president, uh, personal confidant, whatever the hell their weird relationship was with Cal McNair. You know, I think if you were in that position, you would probably grip a little bit tighter too because you knew that Jack Easterby was trying to get you out of town. And of course, being that as it may, he consolidated as much power as possible to keep those bumbling buffoons from messing everything up. And as a result, he messed it all up himself. Obviously, that eventually came around to bite him in the ass because by the end, it was... He was basically a dictator of a developing nation. Like, the Turkmenistan, go look up Turkmenbashi. That is basically what Bill O'Brien was. He just did whatever he wanted in the franchise by the end of it. And it, you know, it came back to bite him because that's just not how a functioning franchise works. Bill Belichick did it for a long time, but he, he also had Tom Brady for a long time. And you're seeing how rough it is trying to consistently win after that era. But... That's not something that could ever possibly become a problem as an OC. Not going to have too much control because Bill Belichick is clearly the boss, and it certainly won't be an issue working under Bill Belichick because he is a notorious control freak in his own right, like I just alluded to there. I think he learned that whole take control of everything to make sure no one fucks it up strategy from Bill Belichick himself. So I think this is a pretty good match, quite frankly, and... That's all before I mentioned that Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator for Mac Jones the year that Devontae Smith won the Heisman, got like 2,000 receiving yards, which is a version of Mac Jones that Kyle Shanahan wanted to take at number three. Remember, if you, if you believe the scuttlebutt, and there is some pretty good indication out there, Trey Lance was a John Lynch decision, John Lynch and ownership decision. 
Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones up there at number three. I don't know why he traded up to number three if he wanted Mac Jones, considering the Patriots ended up getting him down, I believe, in the late teens whenever they ended up getting him. But um, they, he wanted to take him up there. That's how much he thought of Mac Jones. We've seen how Mac Jones can work when he has a real offensive structure to fall back on. If you give him a real offensive mind to work with, like Bill O'Brien, especially when he's familiar around, like, like Butch and Bill over there, he's shown that he has the mental horse power to work around his physical limitations and conduct an offense and he did that in year one with Josh McDaniels and we all raved about his decision making maybe not the most physically talented guy in the world but for a rookie my god could he process things so so fast and I think when you have an offensive coordinator to bounce things off of and kind of mold him a little bit and bring him along I think that's going to really help also let me backtrack a little bit because I actually got that wrong. Bill O'Brien didn't leave uh, the Patriots to take the Texans job. He actually left to take the Penn State job for a year. I forgot about that. Took the Penn State job. Uh, basically had a cup of tea there. Uh, left them Christian Hackenberg, which seemingly only good under Bill O'Brien, it would appear. And then after one year, jump ship to go to the Texans. I remember that now. That was that was a hilarious year and some change over there. I mean, he, I mean, credit to Bill O'Brien. He did the most... Um, I would say the most college coach thing of all time. Basically, the second a better offer comes up, just jump and ship immediately with it. I mean, leaving in the middle of the night, telling no one you're leaving too. That's pretty much, I don't think that's exactly what Bill O'Brien did. But yeah, I just remember that. That is that is quite something there. But even more to the point, I think the fiery nature of Bill O'Brien, it's going to help rein in some of the childish temper tantrums that we saw from Mac Jones under the consummate offensive mind and culture builder, Matt Patricia. Just ask his players in Detroit how good old Matty Pat is at keeping the morale high. I think they all really loved film sessions and really respected his defensive mind calling that one play for Malcolm Butler that one time that you know what people remember in history because it's just that history eight years ago, ten years ago it happened, but I digress. You can yell, whine, and bitch at Matt Patricia. That's the main point here. Like that. But try that with Bill O'Brien, and he's going to turn beet red and get an ass-chewing from the depths of hell itself. Mac Jones will if he tries that shit with Bill O'Brien. He's going to rein in some of that stuff. It's going to force Jones to rein in the emotions and learn to communicate like a goddamn adult. You can't be saying, God... Do your job right every single time and expect people to respect you because I'm just watching on TV and I don't respect you, Mac Jones. That's that's for damn sure. So time to start acting like an adult. He's the leader of the team. It's something he desperately needs if he's going to be an effective leader of men and no doubt about it. So in closing, because I've already spent too much time on this headline already, but it is a big, big deal. That's why I'm spending so much time on it. I think this is a damn good hire from Bill Belichick. It's really the only hire that made any sense with the background that Bill O'Brien has with the team, the fact that he wasn't going to be welcomed in Alabama anymore. Like I said, I mean, I think I've called this from a mile away, maybe as soon as like August, if I'm not mistaken, me and basically everyone else, because it was just too obvious, but sometimes most obvious hire is the best one in the first place. Just, just because he's not innovative quote unquote enough for the college game doesn't mean he can't come back to the NFL and be a damn good OC. I mean a damn good offensive coordinator. I think you can take a few pick up a few things from the college game and add some wrinkles into your pro concepts and really, really help yourself as far as scheme is concerned in the NFL. Just because the NFL is 
it's it's so game plan oriented, so rigid in so many ways. It requires so much discipline to be effective. Sometimes you legislate out a little bit of the uh, creative side that you get in college football when you're facing not quite as good defenses. Maybe you have a little bit of a, a, a talent deficit where you overpower another team. You can go into those and, you know, go into the lab a little bit. Brian, just ask Brian Dayball how that affected him coming back into the NFL. Uh, he parlayed that into, I don't know, Bill's offensive coordinator job, then possibly maybe coach of the year. Not going to get to that today, but that was uh, Sean, Mc, Sean McDermott over uh, Kevin O'Connell. That one, that's tough. That is that is tough. Don't agree with that one. All, all the four others of the, uh, of the um, coach of the year conversation, coach of the year finalists, I guess, I'm okay with all of them. I think they all earn their spot, but I'll, I'll tell you what, man, uh, McDermott over KOC is tough and I will leave it at that. Uh, where even was I though? Now the question, you know, leaving this off with you here, I will leave you with an open-ended question. So you all at home can think about this yourself as we move into the next headline. Will Bill Belichick make the right personnel moves in free agency in the draft? to make this move an immediate successful one. There are some holes there, and there are some ways they can address them in whatever fashion they see fit, but I'm not convinced over the past couple of years that free agency or the draft really is going to be a consistent um, boon to their success, if you will. I will be following those moves this offseason very, very closely as the new league year comes around the corner. I'm interested to see how much they spend in free agency. I'm interested to see how they approach the draft when it does come around. This is a high-variance group right here. They could be the exact same team they were this year, maybe with just a little bit better offense, or they could go in the next year and be a legitimate like top four type of team in the NFL. Who's to even say what happens? They have a good young group of players on defense, and if nothing else, I trust Bill Belichick to build the hell out of a defense over there. And on offense, they're really not that far off. They got a couple good pieces. They really just need a true number one wide receiver because they really don't have one right now. I think Devontae Parker was supposed to be that, and Who's to say, maybe with Bill O'Brien calling the plays, it'll look like he's more of a number one receiver. But for right now, I think they still need one more, I mean, star, for lack of a better term, to really put this offense over top. Otherwise, not a bad base to work with. But let's move on to the next headline here. The Jim, Sw Jim Schwartz, rather, excuse me, chaos defense back in the NFL. Been waiting for this for so long. Knew someone. I mean, this is the one of the only members of the, the good old boys club that I'm just like, I am happy to see that guy back because he is fun. And I'm going to spend less time on this one because it's not quite a... Um, not quite a, um, an impactful, I mean, I guess impactful depends on your, your definition of the word, but I think this is less of a pivotal move, more of a fun move, to be quite frank with you. I do not think this is going to turn out well in the long run. I think it might turn out well in the beginning when you're just starting out the season. I think Miles Garrett is probably going to have close to like 20 sacks just based on, I mean, the the necessary one-on-one -on -one opportunities he's going to have to be afforded because Jim Schwartz is just going to bring six every time, basically. He's like Wink Martindale. If Wink Martindale took up a, a coke habit, pretty much. I mean, it is it is crazy how much Jim Schwartz blitzes and in the worst possible times. And I I love it, man. I, I do love it. I cannot, I cannot deny it. But in the long run, like I said, I think this will, given the history of Jim Schwartz, flame out spectacularly. But man, am I glad this guy is back in the league. And man, is it going to be entertaining. Straight up chaos scheme on defense. I mean, like I said, Wink Martindale. I mean, making him look downright conservative. 
I mean, if Wink Martindale is is driving a a Prius compared to his like Ducati right now, as far as Jim Schwartz and his willingness to blitz, and then even then you got Greg Williams dwarfing them all really with blitzing on a on a hail mary situation. One of the wildest play calls in NFL history. But I digress. He's going to have some games, uh, Jim Schwartz is, where he makes the life of an opposing de- offense, rather, um, absolute awaking nightmare. And there's also going to be other games where he gives up 40 because he just keeps sending the house on third and 15 and getting burned for 50-plus yard touchdowns. That just kind of seems to be what the, what the MO of Jim Schwartz is in the long haul, but might not be the best pickup from a consistency standpoint. However, the dude is entertaining as hell, and he plays a fun, fun brand of defense. So, while I think this will, and I mean will, blow up spectacularly at some point, I am excited to enjoy the ride there uh, nonetheless. That being said, like I said, I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of time on that one. Happy to see Jim Schwartz is back in the NFL. It's going to be fun. Let's move on to the next headline. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time here uh, on this one than the last one. I think this, yeah, this is the last um, last headline of the, I guess, coaching search section. Again, not really any head coach updates outside of people taking interviews and second interviews, but there's so many and it's such a dizzying array. Outside of this next one, just to prove a point, not really going to go through all of the the interview list. I'm just going to tell you who was hired eventually because they're just a lot easier that way. Um, that being said, on to the next headline here and the final one before we get into the championship preview section of the episode. The Jets offensive coordinator search Got me a little bit worried about Robert Sile. Let me tell you why. Here is the candidate list here. Dolphins pass game coordinator, Daryl Bevel. Former Colts offensive coordinator, Marcus Brady. Patriots tight ends coach, Nick Cayley. Callie, Cayley, I don't know. Eagles passing game coordinator, Kevin Petullo. Hey, Paisano. Former Broncos head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. Browns passing game coordinator, Chad O'Shea. Browns offensive line coach, Bill Callahan, familiar name there. And now Broncos QB coach, Clint Kubiak, has been added to the list of guys to interview over there for the offensive coordinator job. Like I said, what I just read to you is the current candidate pool to fill that offensive coordinator job for the New York Jets, at least as far as candidates known to the public. I'm sure you understand there are probably some behind-the-scenes candidates that we haven't seen yet because they haven't interviewed. But now... A thought exercise for you, the listener at home, getting a little listener engagement, getting you involved here, get up and moving, except for you're just going to stay right put and move your mind there, friend. Um, lost my lost my train of thought there. Given, there it is, given how each of the offenses that these eight guys were a part of performed last season, let me go through the list here, Dolphins, Colts, Patriots, Eagles, Broncos, Browns, and Broncos again. Given how each of the offenses performed this last season and their individual histories in coaching, is there a single guy on that list that you would want running your offense? And I'll wait. I'll wait for a second to give you uh, give you some time to think about it. All right, go ahead. Got it? Got your answer of those people? How many would you uh, want running your offense? Got your answer ready? Okay. To me, there is one. I mean just one on that whole list of eight that and that is 
Kevin Petullo due to the jump we saw this year in the Eagles passing game. I'm sure some of that is from uh, Jalen Hurts, but also and also getting AJ Brown doesn't doesn't hurt as well. But there's no denying there is a clear, clear difference from last year to this, this year in just how good that passing game is working. Again, maybe that's talent, maybe that's scheme. Of the, of the eight, though, Kevin Petula was the only one that was a part of a good offense. Otherwise, though, I think Robert Sala might have just picked up... Uh, you got another you got an old list of the good old boys club I can go down and just see who I uh see who I want as my offensive coordinator. Um I think he just used that to pick who he was gonna interview, quite frankly. Not a single one of those seven other names are guys I trust, quite frankly. Daryl Bevel has been hired and fired so many times that it's hard to even keep track. Oh, and by the way, let's not forget, he was the architect of that god-awful Jags offense under Urban Meyer that made Trevor Lawrence the, the best um I guess physical, uh, so to speak, prospect of the last like 20 years or so made him look, I mean, like a downright bust that season. Let's not forget that we can't let that slide, which happens to be his last offensive coordinator role. That's why we can't let that slide because that's the last time he called plays and such a glaringly bad uh, display of it at that. Marcus Brady got fired last year for how badly the Colts offense underperformed. To be fair, Matt Ryan totally cooked, totally done. He should not be an NFL quarterback anymore, but he also consistently and inexplicably got away from the run game when the best player on his squad, and I mean the best player on that offense, it ain't Quentin Nelson, it's Jonathan motherfucking Taylor, and he got away from him consistently, I say, consistently. And I don't know who Nick Cayley is, quite frankly, but let me just let me just take you through what the what the uh, Patriots tight ends have done. Well, I'm not actually going to do that. But do you really want to hire the Pats tight end coach when he inherited two big money free agents in Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, and both I mean both have faded into complete and utter obscurity under his tutelage? I don't think I would in that situation, quite frankly. Do I really need to spell out why I think Nathaniel Hackett isn't a good idea? Go watch the Broncos' offense this last season and tell me that's a guy that knows what he's doing when Colin plays. I think he might... He, he was so bad at it as a head coach, I think he might still be bad at it, though probably not quite as bad at it if he was just a straight-up offensive coordinator. I'll leave it there because we piled on Nathaniel Hackett all season, quite frankly. Bill Callahan, OG member of the good old boys club. He's been... Okay, but not great in his opportunities his entire career, but the dude hasn't called plays also since 2014. I wouldn't be optimistic about his odds of molding a young QB after not having done it for almost nine years at this point. And I don't know if it's necessarily uh, something that he's had a whole lot of practice at in that time frame either. Though, I will say this little caveat to be fair, as an offensive line guy, um, they got a good young back in, in Brees Hall. So just leaning into his natural tendency to run the ball might work out for him in the short run. You know those offensive line guys, if nothing else, they love to run the ball, establish the run, all that stuff. When we got Brees Hall and you got a, a you know nice little stable of backs behind him, not a bad offense, not a bad little uh, offensive tendency to lean into. So hey, it might not be a great hire, but it wouldn't be a terrible hire, I think. Don't know who Chad O'Shea is, uh, but his passing attack got worse uh, when he got Deshaun Watson. So, color me skeptical to say the least. And Clint fucking Kubiak. Are you kidding me, Robert Sala? What are you... Did you did you watch any of the Vikings offense when he was offensive coordinator? Um, hell, even taking out of the equation, taking that part out of the equation, 
did Russell Wilson, uh, the guy he coached last year as the Broncos quarterback coach, did Russell Wilson look like a guy who was receiving quality QB coaching last season? Is that is that something that he looked like? Because I don't think he looked like that very much to me. I'll tell you what. So I went through all of them there outside of outside of old Patulo, uh, old Paisano over there. I'm not feel, really feeling good about the talent pool here. So I got to ask the question, Bobby Sala, Robert Sala, buddy, what are you doing? What is you doing, hon? What, what? He can obviously build an elite defense. No question about that. I mean, he basically, from the ground up after year one, wasn't bad year one, but year two, bang, one of the best defenses in the entire league. I would assume year three is going to be even better uh, under year two of Sauce Gardner, who is a stud. He's the next one. He might be... Only guy he might not outstripe is is Darrell Revis, and he's going to have a good, good opportunity to try and outstripe him, too. He is that damn good as a rookie. He's going to be even better as a second-year guy, and it is exciting to see. Um, That being said, like I said, obviously can build the defense, but his offensive coordinator search here and hiring Mike LaFleur in the first place, seemingly, you know, he's got the last name of LaFleur, so he must be a good offensive coordinator. Probably not a good strat. When you're uh, when you're trying to build an offense, um, got me a little bit worried about Robert Sala that he doesn't know how to pick an offensive coordinator. I'm I'm starting to think that might be the case with Bobby Boy. So as such, I am very very worried about his future in New York. I've seen Rex Ryan go down this path before. Uh, I well Todd Bowles had his own slate of issues, but Rex Ryan, this is basically what killed it for him in New York. Be careful, Robert Sala. It's going to get very, very loud if there is not significant improvement from that offense next season. And I assure you, it's not going to take long for that noise to turn into something tangible if you don't have playoff success. So take that as a warning. I hope Robert Sala does well because he he seems like a legitimately good guy, a legitimately good leader. I'm just worried he's not going to be able to uh, get the offensive coordinator higher right. And as such, might not be able to stick around for too long. I hope he does, but I I have my doubts. I have my doubts with the way he's been going about hiring offensive coordinators. He has time to change my mind, though. He hasn't hired a guy yet. We'll get back to that at some point. With that, though, been rambling for about 30 minutes on these headlines, so that's about all I got for you there. Let's get into the conference championship preview, shall we? Got two juicy ones here. And I'm an NFC homer, so why not start in the NFC? 49ers, Eagles meeting at the link. Dan Air Delco for the NFC Championship. Two teams that have been on a collision course for the whole season, it's felt like. This is a fun stylistic clash. Uh, best defense. Oh, goodness. What am I even doing? All right. There we go. I, you know what? I tried to be all smooth about this, then didn't really work out at the end. Best defense in the league versus best offense in the NFC by a factor of about a point and a half over the next closest uh, offensive unit in the in the NFC, just killing people all season. Then on the other side, Niners have been scoring like thirty a game since Brock Purdy took over. They the offenses look completely different. It looks like they have a difference maker under center with Brock Purdy as opposed to Jimmy Garoppolo, who just wasn't. Saying in the ship, basically. Um, now, Purdy goes from facing the most prolific defense at forcing turnovers in the entire NFL, maybe even, well, not the entire NFL, second in the NFC, only to his own. But 
goes from that to facing the third best unit at doing so in the very next week. Eagles are tied for fourth in the league overall in takeaways. He passed the test last time due in no small part to a generous heap of luck. And I mean a generous heap of luck. Can he keep a lid on it for one more game to get them over the hump? Who's to say? Let's look at the Lions first and foremost before we get into the actual meat of the matter. Uh, right now, San Francisco is at plus two and a half right now. Um, slightly juiced to the Eagles, but it's been sitting there at uh, Eagles minus two and a half being um, minus 115 odds for really since I looked at it yesterday. So I think that might be something that holds stable unless some big money comes in on either side. You guys know how it is there. Um over-unders at 46 and a half. Again, I said it last week. I said at the beginning of this week, bet the under, bet the over in a San Francisco 49ers game at your own peril. That defense can absolutely kill it in a heartbeat. So I'm I'm staying away from that one for sure. Let's go to the touchdown scorer prop, shall we? Uh Christian McCaffrey at minus 130. That stinks. Let's let's look at his two touchdown prop because that's possible, especially with this uh with this Eagles rushing defense, which we'll talk about here in just a second. Hey, plus fourth then. Or the Sprinky over there on the two touchdown prop for Christian McCaffrey. He might run for one. He might he might catch one. Hell, he might throw for one too, though. I don't think that'll count with the uh, two plus touchdown score prop. Either way, at plus four ten, worth worth a little five dollar Sprinky on that one. You get a little twenty dollar payback if he ends up getting it. Um, outside of that, though, Jalen Hurts at plus one twenty five to score a touchdown. Usually, that seems like easy money to me, but with the I don't know. I mean, he was very effective last week. Obviously, it didn't seem to uh, hamper him too much at running the ball on the goal line, but going up against a much better front seven, one of the best front sevens maybe of the last decade uh, on the other side with the 49ers, I'm probably going to stay away from the uh, from the plus 125 Jalen Hurts score touchdown prop. That being said... That QB sneak that they got is one of the most undefendable plays in all of football. Hard to see even the 49ers stopping it if they really need to, but that would really put their stamp on being one of the best uh, front sevens in the last, I don't know, generation or so. Um, getting really carried away with myself there. But I'm staying away from that one probably. Miles Sanders at plus 140. Again, I mean, that... I went over, I'll go over here in a minute, just how dominant that, that 49ers rushing defense is, but I, I'm staying away from the backs, I'll tell you that much, uh, for the Eagles. A.J. Brown at plus 155 to score. I think that might be my favorite on the Eagles right now, as far as touchdown props right now. Plus 155 for A.J. Brown. I mean, if there's if there's one guy that's going to get it, and you can count on it probably being, it's probably going to be A.J. Brown. And I think if the Eagles want to win this game, they're going to have to push the ball down the field. And plays like that, like A.J. Brown very much thrives. So, as far as Eagles players go, I think uh, A.J. Brown's probably my favorite there. Debo Samuel at plus 170. Uh... I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. I suppose. That being said, the Eagles have like one of, if not the best, pass defenses in the entire league. So it's kind of a non-starter. That really, a lot of the touchdown props are kind of fool's gold. Devontae Smith at plus one eighty. Don't hate that. Don't hate that either at all. Uh, could end up working out, but again, same reason as AJ Brown. They're going to have to push the ball down the field. Either AJ Brown's probably the safer bet if you want to go for a little bit longer odds at plus one eighty. There, Devontae Smith's an option as well. Uh, George Kittle at, at plus 185. Hmm. I, hmm. 
you know what? I, I, I actually kind of like that one. Just just thinking, and we'll go over here in a second when we go into the actual like meat of the game and, and how I think it's going to play out, but that that Eagles rushing defense, I think it's suspect enough to where the 49ers are going to run pretty well on them and it's going to it's going to open up some of those seam routes for George Kittle that you know and love and that he makes all those big plays on. So, I think plus 185 not a bad not a bad little uh, odds for you there. It's not 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 too bad. I think I might well, I, I'm not personally going to go for it, but don't hate it as far as a touchdown bet goes and Dallas Goddard at plus 210, Brandon Ayuk at plus 270. Um, if I had to pick between the two, I guess Dallas Goddard, but also he's going to have Fred Warner on him. I don't like that a whole lot, quite frankly. And Brandon Ayuk is going to have either Darius Slay or James Bradbury on him. Take your pick. Either way, it's going to suck. So that's probably that's probably it for uh, the legitimate touchdown props I'm looking at. Let's look at some, uh, some long shots, shall we? Uh, going down here... Kyle Juszczyk at plus 1,300. That's, I mean, if you're looking for a long shot, this Eagles rushing defense is, I mean, it's average at best. I'll, I'll tell you, it's not that great. And with this, this Shanahan rushing scheme, I think they might have some really good success. All it takes, all it's going to take is one, one little off touch from, from Kyle Juszczyk on the goal line. And he just breaks one. That plus 1,300 be a nice little cash in there also like I said on the Eagles side they're gonna need to push the ball down the field I'll get into why here in just a bit but Quez Watkins at plus 800 big deep threat guy Jalen Hurts might end up hitting him on one of those long ones he might might score one of those long touchdowns plus 800 is a long shot don't hate that also by the way same odds as the San Francisco defense to score that's that's how frightening that unit is they're they're at less than plus a thousand to score a touchdown that's just that's just insanity. That, that's insanity right there. But those are my long shots. Kyle Juszczyk at plus 1,300. Quez Watkins at plus 800. Um, let's, let's get out of the TD props. Let's get out of the lines. Let's get to the actual meat of the... Uh, if I can ever get over to the right screen. Yes, there we go. Let's get to the actual meat of the analysis here. Keys to the game. First off, I'm going to kind of switch back back and forth between the teams, and you'll it'll be kind of intuitively obvious uh, the way I do it, but I'm kind of doing just four keys to each game. First one for the uh, Niners-Eagles, starting with the Eagles. On defense, make Brock Purdy look like a rookie and force takeaways in general. That's the main goal. I know it's easier said than done. I mean, if it was if it was that easy, everyone would have done it to Brock Purdy thus far. But obviously, there's some sort of special quality to him. Certainly, a special quality to this offense that makes his job a little bit easier. There's no denying that. But the Eagles have the best pass rush in the league by a mile, and I mean a mile. 15 sacks is the next closest one. Someone is going to have to bite the bullet and get bodied by Trent Williams. It's just it's unavoidable. Someone's going to have to bite the bullet there, and they're not going to get a damn thing going because Trent Williams is still the best offensive tackle in the league. It is crazy how quick his feet are for a 320, 330-pound man. But the interior 
of this 49ers offensive line, very exploitable. I don't know, I don't know about very, very might be a little bit aggressive, but exploitable. They got a rookie, I think, Spencer Burford, a um, bunch of guys I haven't really heard of on the interior there with the, the center and the, and the left guard. Um, it, like I said, exploitable, if nothing else. Guys like Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Brandon Graham, they'll all have to uh, get it going and they need to win their matchups Uh Assuming that Josh Sweat draws the assignment on Trent Williams uh, for the most most of the day, at least that's what I'm assuming, just based on the alignment, him being the right defensive end and Trent Williams being the left tackle. You understand. And outside of that, though, Eagles just need to do what they've done all year in the passing game. They've been one of the best defenses in the league. They've allowed the fewest passing yards per game this season. They were tied for third in raw yards per attempt, first in net yards per attempt this season, and they were top five in pretty much every meaningful statistical category in pass defense. That is all to say they are damn, damn good at at facing the pass, and this is the best pass defense that Brock Purdy is going to be subjected to all year. He's been damn near perfect down the stretch of this season, but he's going to have to face this secondary, and this secondary is mean. I find it hard to see him getting away with some of the more lucky aspects of his his game where he tries to throw an interception and it just gets dropped or something. A lot of luck there. Eventually, the luck, the luck is going to run out, and against this defense, it just might hear. That's, that's, what, that's what might happen. Those reckless passes over the middle that have been somehow not intercepted to this point are going to be opportunities to steal a possession in this game for the Eagles. And I would assume probably going to get at least one, maybe even two. If you get two, you're in, you are in business in possibly winning this game. I'm interested, interested to see what they do. It force Brock Purdy to look like a rookie. That's the first key. Now on the 49ers side of things, on the offensive things, exploit the Eagles' weakness in stopping the run. That's how you're going to be successful in the offense. The Eagles are trying to turn Brock Purdy over. You counter that by forcing it down their throats in the most non-terrible way possible. That really didn't come out necessarily right, but Eagles are giving up 4.6 yards per carry on the ground while the 49ers are uh, over 4.7 per carry, a clip which... As we saw in the Cowboys game, not evenly distributed. Gets more prolific as the game wears on. You saw Elijah Mitchell just gashing the Cowboys late in that game last week. Um, This is pretty much a no-brainer for Kyle Shanahan. Oh, well, if you're going to twist my arm, um, I guess I I suppose I'll run the ball. I hate to do it, obviously, but if you want to make me do what I've been heralded as a genius at for my basically since my, my late 20s, I suppose I'll go do it. Like, this is exactly how Kyle Shanahan wants to run on offense. Just run first, run on first and second down, set up third and short, and hit a crosser for like 20 yards to Debo Samuel. Do that rinse and repeat about, I don't know, 15 times, and then you've won the game. Basically, um, this is what he wants to do in the first place. I would expect this to be the default offensive approach. Then from there... Uh, the next challenge is forcing a numbers advantage in the secondary. I think with success in the run game, it's going to force more guys down into the box. Uh, also, you could uh, fool them into leaving someone open, which is always a possibility with a Shanahan offense because it's all built on subterfuge in addition to masterful, masterful play design as well. The Eagles' pass defense has eaten all sorts of quarterbacks alive for lunch all season. I don't have to go through it. If you can't draw another guy or two even into the box to stop the run, 
Brock Purdy's going to end up no different. He's going to throw up two, three interceptions, and it's going to be off for the races for the Eagles, even though the defense is going to is great. It's always been great all season. If you put them in a bad situation, eventually they're going to break. It's they're they're just human at the end of the day. As always is the case for the Shanahan offense, and most offenses for that matter, the success of the run game makes everything else they try that much more effective. All of a sudden, you see George Kittle make a big play up the seam like I was talking about in the touchdown props discussion there. Then Debo Samuel comes wide open on a crosser like I was talking about earlier there for one of those 20-yard big games, or he takes up the sidelines for 60 like he did uh, two weeks ago. And then they're off to the races. There you have it. Probably won't be quite as see, quite so easy, much easier said than done, against this vaunted Eagles pass defense. But early success in the run game is going to give them a good shot, as good a shot as any to pull this one out. Run the damn ball if you're the 49ers. I don't have to ask Kyle Shanahan twice. I think that's what he's probably going to do. Now, on the Eagles offense, protect Jalen Hurts to give yourself an opportunity to push the ball down the field. It's simple as that. 49ers defense, undisputed best defense in the league. No one even comes close as far as I'm concerned, and it's really, it's really not close. That being said, there are weaknesses, however minor they may be. They're the best damn. They're the best damn defense in the league. There are weaknesses there that Philly can still put themselves in position to exploit. Now, I wholeheartedly encourage the Eagles to continue to work the run because, frankly, their offense doesn't work without it. It's the engine that makes the offense even function in the first place. I would say even more so than the 49ers, they lean on the running game to be the catalyst for everything else and make everything else much easier. That being said, we have to be realistic about the expectations here because the Niners have a historically dominant front seven and that has manifested no more prominently than in the, the yards per carry and the overall rushing numbers they have allowed this season. The Niners finished tied for fewest yards per carry at 3.4 with the Tennessee Titans. Of course, Mike Vrabel schemed up a hell of a run defense. When he got Jeffrey Simmons, is not too, too hard. But Niners also second in yards allowed per game at 77.7. Lucky number there. And they gave up 13 less rushing first downs than the next closest team. I mean, 77 to like 90, I believe it was. All of that is to say, I think the Eagles need to stick with the run. Otherwise, the offense isn't going to work. But I would expect a whole lot of explosive success like they've enjoyed uh, throughout the season. Well, I wouldn't rather expect a whole lot of success uh, in that category. If you want to hit big plays in the Niners' defense, they are not coming on the ground. It's just a non-starter. You can get a couple good four or five-yard carries that set up some things later, but you're not going to get big chunk plays like you've gotten all season. You've got to attack the secondary. They are middle of the pack in most pass defense uh, categories outside of the insane, and I mean insane, 20 interceptions, which is tied for the lead league this year. Um, it's not exactly what you would call a glaring weakness, but this is the best defense in the league for a reason. I mean, all their, all their weaknesses are going to be minor. That's just the fact of the matter. The minor weaknesses are the only weaknesses you're going to find. Might as well exploit them where you can. To exploit that weakness, however... The Eagles will need to give Jalen Hurts time to operate. That's the main thing. I think they're more than capable of doing it, but they got to show it. Yes, the Niners are, are 
third in quarterback hits this season, just absolutely annihilating guys back there. But the Eagles have the best offensive line in the entire league, and I'm very comfortable saying that. That's how damn good they are. It's the foundation that this offense is built on, quite frankly, that offensive line. Nick Bosa is scary, but Jordan Mailata, Lane Johnson maybe or probably the best tackle duo in the entire NFL certainly the best pair of athletes as tackles in the entire NFL right now Trent Williams is a hell of an athlete but Mike McGlinchey not so much on the other side and that's not that's no shade to him he's just not Lane Johnson to uh, Jordan Mailata there they're freaks out there I'll tell you what maybe the most athletic offensive line in the league to boot as well as being the just the best overall I think you can still chip these with these tight ends, help out on the rush that way, and uh, running backs as well, help them out. Uh, but those are two all-pro performers on the outside, and Mylotta and Johnson, who are up to the task of limiting this Niners pass rush. Quite frankly, I think they can do it mostly on their own, but why not give them help where, when you, where you can? Certainly couldn't hurt. If you give Jalen Hurts time to operate opportunities will present themselves down the field eventually. This receiving core is just too good from top to bottom to cover perfectly for a full game. I mean, go down the list. I mean, you've got, at the one, you got A.J. Brown. At the two, you got Devontae Smith. You got Quez Watkins as a deep receiver. And oh, by the way, if all those guys are covered, you probably left the middle of the field wide open and right sitting there is one of the best receiving tight ends, underrated receiving tight ends at that in the league in Dallas Goddard, just waiting to gash you for a 15, 20-yard gain. I mean, that's just that's just the way that this receiving core can attack you. And hell, just look at last week what C.D. Lamb did basically playing all by himself with a hand behind his back versus the Niners secondary. He still caught 10 passes for 117 yards. The Eagles have a much, much better receiving core than the Cowboys. I can guarantee you and assure you that if Jalen Hurts stays relatively clean, that will eventually become apparent. They're they will have an opportunity if they keep Jalen Hurts clean to push that ball down the field. And on the other side for the Niners defense, their key for this game, force Jalen Hurts to be a pure pocket passer. Again, easier said than done. And I really mean multiple things when I say that though. One, I think obviously Jalen Hurts is more effective when allowed to manipulate the defense with his legs. He can just get out of the pocket and, and play a game with the nearest guy in coverage and just get an easy game that way. And he's just going to go, oh, am I going? Am I not? And either way, the defender is going to be wrong because if he stays in coverage, Hertz will get a good game with his legs and get close to an easier manageable uh, first down on that play or manageable second down or whatever, third down, whatever it happens to be. And if you commit to the run, he'll dump it off right behind your head for a chunk play. Uh... I mean, it, you, you're wrong either way you decide. I mean, you're just dead out there unless you got swarming, swarming like five, six guys out there, which isn't usually the case because Hertz doesn't put himself in those sorts of situations, plain and simple. Moral of the story is if you let Hertz run on you and get out of the pocket and escape and create either to pass or to run the ball, life's going to get very, very difficult very, very quickly for you. So an emphasis needs to be put on stonewalling the quarterback run action. He's got a sprained shoulder that hurts when you hit it, so I'm not saying go in there and rough the passer and be a dirty player, but just go out there and play hard-nosed football. When you get an opportunity to hit the guy as a runner, you and you can legally do it, 
try to hit him as hard as you possibly can to disincentivize, to disincentivize that sort of behavior on the football field. If the Eagles are going to beat you on the ground, make Miles Sanders be the focal point of that attack, not Jalen Hurts. If Jalen Hurts is... I mean, intertwined with a running game in a in a in more of a capacity than just a specialist uh, quarterback sneak capacity. You're gonna be they're gonna be off to the races. They're gonna score thirty on you. They've done it time and time again this year. Then, when they drop back to pass, the pass rush must still work to get pressure. But they also need to be conscious of not letting Jalen Hurts get out on the move. Is the main thing. A, a designated QB spy might actually work against them in this one. I think it might kind of take away from their coverage, which I think they really need to emphasize on as well. I mean, got to rush, but you also got to keep the coverage going um, effective over there. Um, so I think it might actually work against them, given the, the mammoth obstacle presented by the Eagles offensive line, but taking away a, a rusher there. But I'm also not the Miko Ryans or any sort of defensive coach or defensive game planner at, at all for that matter. And I would expect Ryans has a pretty good idea of how he might keep Hertz in the pocket while still getting some pressure on him. Again, I'm not the one with all the answers. I'm just here to tell you where to focus. If you take Hertz legs out of the equation, there's no guarantees that he won't launch one of those moonshots down the sideline to AJ Brown. In fact, I would almost anticipate him doing that once or twice in this game, but it increases the chance that he'll slip up and throw a gift to a secondary that leads the league in interceptions, or is at least tied for it in that way. On that note, though, interesting, interesting game over there in the NFC. Let's stick a cork in it. I'll give you my pick at the end. Let's move on to the AFC, shall we? AFC Championship, Bengals versus Chiefs over there in Arrowhead. Thank God, the NFL didn't go with that stupid fucking neutral side idea that they were going to foist on us if the Bills made it to the to the championship game. That's going to be one of the more underplayed stories, but I mean, you can't deny the impact that it had. The Bills losing kept us from being in literal hell with neutral site championship games. Thank God that didn't happen for those greedy fucks over there at the NFL. That's a pure money move. This was a football move. Glad to see it is at Arrowhead there. I'm just going to sit here, cross my fingers, and hope this turns out to be the shootout that we expected Bills Bengals to turn into. We got a hobbled but still dangerous Patrick Mahomes playing host to possibly the most confident man on the planet that doesn't play in the NBA or European soccer. And hell, I think more than a lot of people in the NBA, he is a cocky-ass motherfucker, and I love it. Joe, that guy, Burrow. The defensive coordinators have their hands full in this one, I will tell you that much. But let us look at the lines. Right now, it's Bengals favored by one, and I think they were actually... Um, underdogs by one the last time I checked there so this is this is actually like I said no one knows what the hell is going to happen here it, ju it just it's basically a pick them on the money line it's minus 108 to each side they're just like hey if you understand it and, and you know what's going to happen go right ahead we have no fucking clue essentially based on this uh this line they set minus one for the the Bengals at the moment though I wouldn't blame you if you want to take that without the Bengals have play but don't mess around. Don't mess around with Pat Mahomes. A hobbled Pat Mahomes is still better than basically every other quarterback in the league outside of a, a small select few. So careful. That's all I got to say. Over-unders at 47 and a half, and that seems pretty steady there. Minus 110 to both the over and the under. That's probably what it's going to end up being at kickoff. So 
interesting little over there as you might be able to uh, surmise by the way I frame this whole thing as maybe being a shootout. We might be seeing that a little bit later, but there you go. Basically a pick em in this game over under is at 47 and a half. Uh, touchdown scores, anytime touchdown scores. Jamar Chase and Travis Kelsey are at minus money. Jamar Chase is at minus 110. Um, Travis Kelsey is at minus 105. So you're really still getting good value there. Basically like a straight up sort of bet that you're, that you're used to with Jamar Chase there scoring a touchdown. And against this Kansas City Chiefs defense, um, I think Trent McDuffie is currently the best corner they got right now. And he's a rookie. I like Jamar Chase in that, that matchup. I'm going to be honest with you there. So Jamar Chase at minus 110, not a bad little bet there for you. I think he's probably going to score one. Also, Travis Kelsey. I think Lou Anaruma is going to have something for him. I think probably going to have a little bit better game plan to stop him than uh, what the, the Jags had last week for him. But still no guarantee there. At minus 105, I'll probably stay away from that one. Joe Mixon at plus 105 versus this uh this Kansas City Chiefs defense. I'm hmm if there is going to be a rushing touchdown, I would expect it to be Joe Mixon rather than Samaje P Ryan. That being said, running into the teeth of a uh, defensive line that has Chris Jones and a linebacking core with Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, not really not not really too excited about that one. That one, I'll be honest with you. Uh Isaiah Pacheco at plus 150, um I don't know. I, I don't know about all of that. I, I, I guess going into this uh, this front, I he didn't score one last game, but was very efficient. He could score one this game. Again, I'm staying away. Really, Jamar Chase is the only one I necessarily love thus far. T. Higgins, plus 165. You're looking for a value pick um, to kind of build off that theme I was talking about. I mean, Trent McDuffie is going to be on Jamar Chase most of the time, and I imagine T. Higgins is going to have whoever the hell the poor other sucker is on the other side of the field lined up against him. Um, I would imagine T. Higgins is going to eat in this one. Plus 165 might be my favorite bet uh, for T. Higgins to score a touchdown here as far as the anytime touchdown scores go. Uh, Jarek McKinnon at plus 165. Couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt. Kind of cooled off from his pace the last um, several weeks or so down the, down the stretch of the season where he set the, the record for a running back as far as receiving touchdowns go. Uh, plus 165, if I were to take between or pick between Jarek McKinnon and T Higgins. I'm probably going T Higgins, quite frankly. Um, anyone else worth mentioning here? Hey, Hayden Hurst at plus 300 worth a sprinkle worth a sprinkle. He's been very, very good. And these Kansas city linebackers, very good at stopping the run bit, a bit hit and miss at stopping the pass. And he's going to draw coverage from Hayden Hurst is going to draw coverage from one of those guys quite frequently. I would imagine plus third plus 300. He scored a touchdown the last game. Not a bad little bet there. I could not blame you if you take that one. Worth worth a sprinkle, I'll tell you that much. Um, outside of that, uh, Kadarius Tony at plus two fifty, Juju Smith Schuster at plus two eighty. I don't know. We're we're getting firmly into long shot territory. So let's just cut out the middle, man. Let's just go down the list and see where I like the long shot here. Um. Probably not Ronald Jones. Definitely not Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's going to run at all in this game. Um, hmm. As far as like a traditional long shot where it's like plus 800 or longer. Hmm. I don't know. There's not anyone I necessarily love in this game. Justin Watson's been getting some good, uh, good, good play on the back end there. Getting some good deep shots in. 
Um, is he going to do well against the Cincinnati defense? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, don't even really know who Mitchell Wilcox is. Trenton Irwin, he dropped one last week. I'm uh, not really sure about him, what, what it's going to end up doing that. Ronald Jones, just no. <laughs> no, just not happening. Um, hmm. You know, I don't have a long shot for you. There's the long shot. I just don't think there's a, there's one of these long shots that's going to score. And I'm totally open to being proven wrong. I mean, maybe Sky Moore will come out and do one of those jet sweep motions. The Bengals will be fooled right down there on first and goal, and he'll just he'll go in for a touchdown. Not really holding my breath on anyone. There's not really a single long shot here that I feel good about like I did in the previous game. So not going to recommend one. Just going to let you uh, figure out on your own what you think is is good for your long shot pick uh, whenever you make your bets. Either way, let's get to the actual discussion of the game itself here. Uh, keys to the game. First off, on the Chiefs' side, on the defense, just going straight like we did last time, starting off with the one seed on the defensive side of the ball. Forced turnovers. Sounds pretty similar to what we did with the previous team over there with the Eagles, but... Bear with me because it's a little bit different. Use subterfuge to do so. I didn't specifically say that with the Eagles because their pass defense is so good, but the Chiefs are on a little bit of a talent deficit here. So different reasons why I'm saying force turnovers for the Chiefs. So look, Trent McDuffie has been playing very well down the stretch of this season. Credit to him. I mean, but bottom line is, this chief secondary cannot stay in front of the Bengals receiving core. Flat out. I mean, Trent McDuffie can't cover Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Board. Also, Hayden Hurst uh, at the same time here. Um, if you sit back there and take it like that Vikings defense did this year, I've been harsh enough on the former Vikings defensive coordinator. I don't need to see, say his name again. You all, you all know who I'm talking about. Um, I don't I don't need to keep saying his name. Joe Burrow is going to hang 350 on your head if you just sit back there and take it like that. And you're going to put your offense in an uncomfortable spot trying to maintain a shootout pace. With a hobbled Mahomes, you're going to start doing things you're not comfortable with, and that turns into that turns into a bit of a, a game of, I mean, a game that I think the Bengals are a little bit more equipped to win in this one, given the health of Mahomes. Excuse me, Steve Spagnolo gonna have to go deep into his bag in this game. We're gonna need the exotic pressure packages, disguise coverages, shifts at the line of scrimmage, everything that could possibly confuse a quarterback and lead him into a bad decision. That's what Spags needs to be employing here. Obviously, there's a big, significant risk on the other side of that, but the risk of sitting back and doing nothing is much greater. So, might as well go balls to the walls here. This is a script built for a guy like Wink Martindale, and I think Spag should channel some of that energy uh, in this game. Certainly has throughout the course of his career, has that potential to do so. A fair, straight-up fight is going to be an ugly, ugly, bloody loss for the Chiefs. Make no mistake about it. If they just play like a vanilla zone and let let Joe Burrow sit back there all day. He's going to he's going he might throw for 4 or 500 on you. That 350 might be a little bit too low at the end of the day. A guerrilla style fight built on deception, subterfuge. That's going to be the only path to gaining an advantage here if you are the Kansas City Chiefs defense. That's what you need to do. Force turnovers, 
make life hell and disguise everything, basically. Don't fight a straight-up fight against this Bengals offense or you will be cooked. And they still might be when it's all said and done. For the Bengals, though... Along that vein, just sit back and allow the secondary present, to present opportunities on offense. Don't force the issue. That's the main thing. You don't want to start playing hero ball, start throwing Josh Allen passes. Steve Spagnuolo's defense gave up a league-high 33 uh, passing touchdowns. Uh, the next closest gave up 29, so four more than them. Chiefs are also bottom five in touchdown to interception ratio allowed uh, at 3.0, bottom half of the league in forced turnovers, middle of the pack in passing yards allowed. All of those stats I threw at you are, are to demonstrate that this is not, and I mean not, a passing defense that can consistently hold up for four quarters versus a Bengal, this Bengals receiving core in particular. The holes in the secondary will eventually present themselves. They might not be there initially, but you keep doing what you do and you stay disciplined. They will eventually present themselves down the stretch to make this defense pay. It's a matter of being patient enough to let them open up. Because like I said on the defensive side with the Chiefs, Steve Spags is going to be in his bag in this one trying to force uh, Joe Burrow into an uncharacteristic mistake. Can't have it happen. Now, hand up. I went back and looked at the stats, and uh, I was definitively wrong with my initial uh, read on this game. The Chiefs have a much better pass rush than the Bills. They finished 15 sacks behind the Eagles, but still second in the league, which is hilarious that 15 sacks behind is the, is the second, 55 in the next, I mean, the number one is 70. That's that's hilarious. They're Eagles, first team with four guys with 10 plus sacks, just a hilarious, hilarious second place team being <laughs> 15 sacks behind. Eagles will probably need to devote more resources to the pass protection in this game. That's probably what's going to end up happening uh, than they did in the last timeout, or Bengals, rather. I think I said Eagles, sorry about that, uh, versus the Bills, rather. But keep Joe Burrow upright and give him lanes to move around and escape the pocket. Eventually, that chief secondary, it's going to crack, like I said, just got to be patient with it. Don't force the issue. If you just keep, if you just run an offense like you did last week, eventually you're going to get 27 to 30, maybe more points in this game. You just got to keep the faith and keep going. I think they have a pretty good chance of ending up doing that. As for the Chiefs on offense, protect Pat Mahomes. That's bottom line, only thing you need to really worry about in this one. And you do that by shortening the field. Andy Reid is fully aware that he usually he, his usually mobile quarterback I, I guess actually will be severely limited in that category in this game he is highly and acutely aware of that I would imagine and as such I expect an increased volume in rushing attempts for Isaiah Pacheco the success of the running game will like will take a lot of significant pressure even off of Mahomes to do it all in this game and that's kind of what they leaned into last game and in addition to that I expect a greater infusion of uh, fast-developing route concepts, short mesh, short crossing routes, uh, using pre-snap motion on those crossing routes to get a head start, slants, screens, the whole arsenal of effective short to inter intermediate passing concepts. I think that's what Andy Reid has to lean, lean, lean into in this one, just to shorten that clock. I mean, bring it down from Mahomes extending the play and having a long clock to throw, uh, getting those bombs down the field. That's not a reality in this one, so you got to protect him by making it short, making it easy-ish throws to kind of throw off the defense, keep them, keep him clean at the end of the day because that's how you're going to win this one. And as a cherry on top, 
I would also expect a healthy dose of max protection formations on play calls to try and mitigate any direct pressure applied to Pat Mahomes via the pass rush as well. I think they're going to make a big emphasis on Pat Mahomes having a clean pocket while also shortening the field and playing to his deficiencies in this game that way. Keeping Mahomes clean, that's the difference between winning and losing in this one. He's not going to be able to move like he usually does. you got to keep him upright. you got to do a, a, an even better job at blocking than you usually do, and you just gotta, you just got to hold on for dear life, basically, because... I mean, they're going to be coming after him. You just got to get in their way, and you just got to obstruct. Chiefs got to protect Patrick Mahomes in this one. And on the Bengals' side, I mean, pretty easy. Get Pat Mahomes on the ground or force him off his spot. Uh, Kind of the converse of that. Usually forcing Pat Mahomes off his spot is the kiss of death, but because of his arm strength and mobility, well, because of, well, his arm strength, he he can operate in the pocket no problem, but his lack of mobility... That, that hampers him in this one. He just doesn't have that usual factor from his game uh, where he's just able to extend the play and launch it downfield to someone perfectly in stride like he always does somehow. But Mahomes having a high ankle sprain, which is going to require tightrope surgery at the end of the year in all likelihood, uh, and generally knocks players out for at least four weeks, He's going to be about as close to a statue quarterback as he will ever be in his entire career. I don't think Patrick Mahomes at age 43 is going to be as immobile as Patrick Mahomes in this game with that high ankle sprain. He's got, They're going to have to come after him. Lou Anarumo needs to recognize that that factor in this game and dial up pressure accordingly. They need to get Pat Mahomes on the ground because they got a golden opportunity where pressure is going to affect him more than basically any other game in his career, I think, to this point. If the Bengals' defense consistently collapses that pocket, they win this game. Simple as that. 100%. If they collapse the pocket, they start getting sacks on Pat Mahomes, throws basically everything off, it's done. Chiefs are done. Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Also, an addendum the run game was important for the Jags to stop last week. It's going to be even more important this week for the Bengals versus Mahomes uh, being being limited. If they can't run the ball and they got to pass with Pat Mahomes 50 times, I assure you that is the last thing that Andy Reid wants to do, and it's going to put them in a bad, bad spot. Lou Anarumo has to find a way to make that happen. Make them pass 45, 50 times. That's how you force the Chiefs into a bad offensive day where you can maybe try and pull away like you did against the Bills. And there you have it. There's my keys to the game. Let's get into the official picks, shall we, after a quick drink of water. Yes, nothing like some good agua that I picked up from my local Hibachi Express while I was doing deliveries today. They're they're nice people. They like me. They know me. So they let me fill up my water because are you really losing that much money off of uh, a stream of water there? We're not in a country or at least not in a state climate wise yet where that's enough of an issue. So there you have it there. I'm not even sure why I said that, but official picks record last week went two and two. Didn't lose you any money. Um, didn't make you any either. So life is pain. Existence is suffering, but not too, too much. Uh, 43 and 48 overall going to have to go in the lab this off season and get my strategy right. I think I probably said that last year too, but maybe it'll work this time. Working on my NBA betting though, had a brutal beat last night. So Hopefully, I'll have have that kind of dialed in after the Super Bowl, but 
we'll, we'll see. I'm, I still might be an average better in the offseason, even with my improvements in my methodologies. I, we're, we're growing together, guys. We're just growing together. I said something about college basketball before. I might have alluded to that on the show, or maybe that was just a an interior thought that I just hadn't brought out here on the podcast. But um, that's just a little bit too much learning when I have... I already have at least some baseline knowledge on the NBA. They play more games. They get better trends. There's better, you know, more consistent players. Obviously, the players don't play as consistently, but better players overall. They're professionals. It it is what it is. Easier to follow, I suppose, in the college game. Uh, Either way, only two games. So outside of that, uh, this week, only doing two picks. One pick uh, from each of these championships. Um, first off, on the NFC side, I'm going Niners plus two and a half, and you can get that at minus 105 if you're if you're okay with getting some juice on it. Um, I think the Eagles could still win this game, but this 49ers defense is special, and a Brock Purdy that has a certain special quality to his demeanor that seems to keep him calm and confident in the most pressure-packed environments. That's what they're working with here. I think the Niners' defense, they're going to get burned a few times, no doubt about it. It's just kind of the way this is going to work out, I think. But sooner or later, I expect them to dictate the pace of this game on the defensive side of the ball. And, of course, sooner or later, that Shanahan offense is going to eat that Eagles rushing defense alive. From there, I expect it to be a matter of death by a thousand cuts for that Niners offense, much like last week versus the Cowboys. It wasn't working great early on, but as time wore on into the second half, Elijah Mitchell and CMC take over down the stretch, and it, it the rest is history from there. I certainly don't expect a blowout, but I, I think the Niners find a way to pull this one out and punch their ticket to the Super Bowl. And um, you know what? I'm leaning towards the Bengals in the in the Bengals Chiefs, but I don't feel comfortable picking that spread at basically a pick 'em. So I'm going with the over at 47 and a half. Let me just type that in here real quick. So it's there for posterity's sake later. All right, there it is. Over 47 and a half Bengals versus Chiefs. Tentatively, like I said, lean towards Bengals with how banged up Pat Mahomes is and how well Luana Romo's defense played last week against Josh Allen, but even then. Still think the Chiefs are going to pull, put up some points. I just don't feel good about picking against Pat Mahomes just out of principle, really. I could still see him pulling it out because he's just that much of a wizard. Best quarterback in the in the entire league. Going to end up being the best one of all time when it's all said and done if he just keeps playing. So with that in mind and Joey Burrow uh, going up against an outmatched Chiefs secondary, quite frankly, unless the snow comes in and shits on my dreams again like they did last week in Buffalo, I feel good about the over in this game at 47.5. 47.5 is a lot of points for an NFL game, but I think they get to that and they get to that Maybe not with ease, but they get to that as far as I'm concerned. I think the Bengals are going to score at will, and I think the hobbled Pat Mahomes back there is still going to have enough juice in the tank to cause some problems Problems for the Bengals' defense, put up some good points as well. So there you have it. Those are my two picks, Niners plus 2.5 and, and over 47.5 for the Bengals versus Chiefs. Can't possibly lose you a whole lot of money this week unless, you know what, you got your bet, you, you got your uh, your units all fucked up. Maybe don't bet with $1,500 if you're getting a $500 paycheck a week. Just a, just a bit of advice from your buddy Caleb uh, to your ears. Either way, 
That is all for this episode, keeping it semi-concise today because there's really not a whole lot of game action to talk about. But if you enjoyed, subscribe and leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy. If you didn't enjoy it, take that opinion, shove it up your ass, and then take it to the grave. Also, tell people you loved it anyways because we're trying to spread the good vibes here. I release two episodes a week during the football season, NFL on Tuesdays, and hell, NFL on on Thursdays, too. We're just going full NFL right now until the end of the season. Usually it's college football, but we're putting a cork in that for now, at least until we get some good headlines. Uh, Either way, any additions or changes, I'll let you all know as they occur. Follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the link. Link will be in the link. That's right. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. That's the moral of the story there. If you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That is unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Or if you want to skip that rigmarole, just, just DM me on Twitter. I'm probably going to be more responsive there anyways. Or just put business or show in all caps to start the subject line in the uh, email so you can be categorized accordingly. No one's done that yet, but... Might as well just keep putting it out there, right? Uh, anyways, uh, that way you can be categorized accordingly. Thank you so much for tuning into Unqualified Analysis. And as always, got no clue what I'm talking about, but I liked pretending I do. And you know what? I actually do know what I'm talking about. Let's let's not fuck around here. Either way, one thing I learned this week, mycelium are long, tiny threads that wrap around and or bore into the roots of plants all around a forest and connect fungi and plants alike across that forest underground really miles and miles and miles these mycelium stretch between plants connecting an entire forest together this sweeping vast infrastructure known as the mycorrhizal network it both allows for the transfer of the water and nutrients from plant to plant so that other plants can stay alive where you get excess from one into a needed spot for another plant also It is believed to be a mode of communication between fungi all over the forest to get a lay of the land, a a read on the environment as a whole, and what the community of fungus is doing. There you have it right there. Shout out to The Last of Us for... I already kind of knew that stuff uh, from hearing it in passing on podcasts, but... uh, Shout out to The Last of Us, man, that show. It's it's beautiful to see my favorite game of all time adapted so well into a show. And I've told basically everyone who will listen since time memoriam, since I played that game back when I think I was like either in high school or in middle school at that point, from the second I played that game, and anyone else who played that game, I knew, and they knew as well if they played that game, if there was ever a video game that is going to work seamlessly as a show, it was always The Last of Us, and it's it's beautiful to see HBO hit it out of the park. So, yeah, with that, see y'all. Go watch The Last of Us. It's a damn good show. See ya.